0: Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, is Graham. Welcome to a classic big interview. Today, join me, we're going back to season 2015-2016. This is what I had to say about it back then. The great thing about Peter Beardsley the footballer was that whenever you watched him, however much you paid for your ticket, you knew that you were going to get value based on him doing something impish, creative, daring, anarchic, skillful. To find out that he was rejected by Newcastle that he went to Vancouver in Canada at a time when it must have felt like changing galaxy, never mind continent and to ask him what the heck happened and then be told stories about Independence Day, George Best Ron Atkinson and how Harry Redknapp ruined his Old Trafford career you'll go a long long way this or any other season to hear better football stories right from the heart of this game, sometimes it can be a dark heart sometimes it can be a beautiful heart, sometimes comedic. And Peter telling his own story transfixed me. I hope that the eccentricity, the joy, the fun transmits itself into this big interview. At Liverpool, I thought he was the extra element that allowed that club to do unbelievable things, passing moves that is the closest I've seen to the Pep Guardiola Barcelona and Peter Beardsley has been a theme across this big interview series is that he's one of those players from the modern time, I said the same to Gordon Strachan and meant it, that he could easily have fitted into the Spain side, which won three straight tournaments and Beardsley could easily have played an Andres Iniesta role in Pep Guardiola's Barcelona. That's how good I think he was. It turned out that he's also a gent, that he passionately loves talking about the game. He's like a young kid when it comes to the ball. He continues playing. In fact, just before we sat down with Peter Beardsley, played a 90-minute game in the indoor centre at the Newcastle United training ground. It was an absolute refreshing joy to speak to this unadulterated man of football and to hear how street football, just like for Jinky John, Negadavits, Davids, Dennis Burkamp, Johan Cruyff, street football helped turn him into somebody he'd go and live the dream with Newcastle with Liverpool for England sit back and, and lap up this fantastic football life told by Peter Beardsley Peter Beardsley, welcome to The big Interview and thank you very much indeed. Absolute pleasure for me. It started very well because we've seen some lovely skills on an (laughs) indoor pitch, we've had some fantastic shepherd's pie. But I'm going to make the first comparison of the day, which I don't want you to drop the shoulder and shrug me off on. You, when you were playing, always, always now evoke, when I think about how you played, the footballers who've made my life so much better in Spain, whether it be Iniesta or Silva or Messi or any of that series of footballers who are utterly comfortable on the ball and in a crowd of players, when you can't even see a way out yourself, emerge with the ball. I want to ask you if that brilliant ability you had with your dancing Fred Astaire feet, with the ball tied to a foot, did that come from the sweat box? And what was the sweat box?
1: The sweat box was an amazing place that was like, it's hard to explain in terms of the size of this room that we're in now. This is probably, I don't know, 12 metres by 12 metres. Yeah. The sweat box would have been 30 metres wide by 40 metres long, maximum. And it literally was a sweat box. If you look at the floor that we're on now, that's what the floor was. We actually played on this type of floor. I couldn't even explain Some what this was.
0: Some wood. Yeah. Yeah. wood, wooden slats. Wooden floor,
1: absolutely. And it was like, you almost felt like you were bouncing on it. It was right. like incredible, honestly. And it was a sweatbox. And where we're sat, Grim, we are sat bang in the middle of where I lived and where Wars and Boys Club is, literally, genuinely. So right. I've lived a mile down this road, uh, obviously, if you went out the training ground now, and then Wars and Boys Club is a mile down the other road. And what I used to do every night, I used to go from my house with the ball at my feet and caused probably loads of car crashes <laughs> all the way to the and Boys Club play me football and all the way back with me ball
0: you're talking dribbling up dribbling down the, yeah the absolutely, street.
1: absolutely everywhere I went people have long been where I was born and bred and obviously that's where I'm talking basically used to see me with a ball going for shopping for my mum and dad you know I used to get the, the shopping run I had two older brothers who wouldn't go and uh, I got the job so I'd be carrying carrier bags and kicking the ball and, and it just it was me life and I don't mean that in a negative way because it was amazing and I wouldn't swap with day of it, I really wouldn't, you know and coming from school and I look at kids and even my own kids haven't gone through school doing homework every night it never felt as though we had homework, either that or I didn't do it yeah. and I'm really not sure which but uh, it was an incredible thing the sweatbox see,
0: see when you've got a shopping bag full of Campbell's soup cans and a shopping bag full of potatoes and bread and whatever it might be and you're, you're running with a ball, is that you, if you can go back to that moment Saying to yourself, I I, I never want to be without the ball, or were you already kind of practicing for something that lay ahead, even if it was being better at Wall's End Boys Club? I don't know. Yeah,
1: yeah. I I always dreamt of being a footballer, but at that stage, never ever thought I would. I never ever thought I would get to play at any level, you know. So eventually, when the chance comes, it was incredible. But just kicking the ball, my routine was like you imagine a a garden every 10 yards, and obviously Mm. a front gate there would obviously be a wall in between and that was it, like two bounces off the wall and then on the other side of the gate, another two bounces. And, and I used to have a like a coordination thing. It had to be the same as in two bounces. It sounds really sad, but if I messed up, I had to go back.
0: You know what's, Do you know what <laughs> isn't sad? I, I, I was useless for the ball, but you reminded me of my childhood. I, I had an OCD thing if I was practising with the ball. I read in Shoot Magazine when I was quite young Colin Bell talking about how he got really good with just a tennis ball and he'd kick it onto a roof a slanted roof kick it and then he, he would let it drop down and he would, right, half this time it's got to be a thigh left volley right and, and, or chest and then head and he did that with tennis ball so I thought well I could think but I did the same as you I was like well challenge yourself and if I, don't, if I do it okay but I don't do what I would set myself to do I'd be furious with myself
1: well there was a bridge obviously the bridge is still there now and it's funny I drive past the bridge every day Basically, it'd probably be about, I don't know, 12 metres high, something like that. So the steps up, and then there's a the middle bit over the train lines, and then obviously down the other side. But I would never pick the ball up? No. No, no, I would always kick it. <laughs> never ever had the ball in my hand. You know, so I'd walk into a shop, and I'd be paying for stuff, and obviously I'd have bags. The ball would always be on the floor. I never ever picked my ball up. Did you sleep with it? Not quite, I don't think, but I always knew where it was. It was almost like, sounds stupid, but if there was a fire, where's my ball? You know, people obviously, teddies, whatever you want to call them, but, but yeah, the ball. The ball was like something
0: that was my life, to be fair. What did that ball look and feel like?
1: It was, a, it was called a, basically a penny floater nowadays. It was like a plastic ball that I wouldn't know what it cost, but it almost, sometimes you think it's got a mind of its own. And it, it would just be like, on a windy day, it was more difficult, but you almost saw that as a challenge. You know, the more difficult it is, obviously. It's funny, I was talking to one of our coaches yesterday because when we train and obviously a ball will go somewhere, I almost become a ball boy, just naturally, not not in a negative way. And then we'll have a clump of balls where we're feeding from and I'll like, I might be 50 yards away and I will always ping the ball back from where I am or the side volley. So I pick it up and I volley it and it sounds bigger. Nine times out of ten, it'll go where I go, And people are like, they're looking at you like they're surprised, but it's practice. Mm-hmm. It really, that's as simple as that, you know. And I keep telling them, you know, not because of me, but practice. And I talk about Messi all the time. He doesn't get that because he doesn't want to practice. He looks as though he wants to play football. I saw him in the Champions League final, Graham. You ever saw him at Wembley mm-hmm. when they beat Man United? Mm-hmm. I saw him and Danny Alves about 40 yards apart, volleying the ball, keeping it up, volleying it back. Wow, it was one of the most pleasurable things I've ever seen
0: on a football field. And that was just warming up. Do you know, I, I knew that one of my difficulties would be like making you accept that there's quality comparisons between you and Messi and you and Iniesta because I like, think you're quite a humble man, but there are. I grew up watching you. I spent my life watching these guys, which is exactly what you said. It's ultra pleasure. It makes you feel really lucky to be in this profession, really lucky to be in this profession. But aside from how much he practised or practises, he, he's the same as you've just described now. Needs to know where the ball is, absolutely needs to be doing something with the ball all the time. And I don't think all footballers are like that.
1: No, no, I, I would agree. I, I have to be honest, I look at a lot of them and they almost know about the ball. Yeah. You know, they want to be in a gym, yes. they want to make themselves stronger physically. You know, and I understand to a point that is the way the game's gone. But
0: if you can't deal with the football, you know, forget <laughs> and it. And the Some I see who the, the ball's an enemy.
1: Absolutely. No, no, it's funny, when I first came to Newcastle, having been, obviously, to, to Vancouver and Carlisle, and Arthur Cox said to me, I'm going to give you a race with this ball across the field. So right. I start running with my ball, and he doesn't move. What's going on here? <laughs> going on. And then all of a sudden, he picks his ball up, and he just boots it. So I've ran 70 metres across the pitch, and he's just booted his ball. And he said, I never said we ought to take the ball with us. Mm. And it was just a lesson for me that, like, obviously his ball went quicker than mine, but the fun I had running across there was more fun than actually just booting the ball. And that for me is the big thing where I look at some people, and obviously it's in the makeup, where they're better without the ball. It sounds really yes. stupid, but that is a fact of life. You know, there are certain players in the world that are better without it.
0: And, and we'll come back to the fact that I, it was, I don't know, I shouldn't be giving my opinion because we're here to talk to you, but I reckon that. Football is a really broad church and there's a use for players who can do that sometimes if they complement, Absolutely. What, if you've got six Messis or a Messi and two Chavis and an Iniesta in your team, guys who are really good without the ball because they're in the right place or they can break things up, that can be quite useful for you Absolutely. Two. But I don't want to lose sight of the sweatbox because I thought the sweatbox would be a way to explain how you became such an agile, dancing, confident, balanced footballer. You educated me that it was the street that prepared you for the sweatbox, which prepared you. for. In the sweatbox, what were you doing? How many people were there and what what was the atmosphere like?
1: The atmosphere was amazing. So there would be a pool table in and around the sweatbox. There would be a dartboard. You imagine to your right as you walk in the door, there'll be the sweatbox down the stairs. So there's two sets of stairs. So there would be two teams playing each other and you never went down the same set of stairs. So if my team would go down this set, the opposition would go down the other. And then the other teams that obviously were in the leagues would be either playing pool, playing darts, having a bit of fun, whatever. A lot of them at the drinks machine, getting drinks, crisps. It never mattered what you're eating them days, you know. You're never Mm -hmm. worried about, like, can I have another bag of crisps? It just wasn't in your makeup. So it was just an amazing thing. And and basically, in my time, the winning team used to stay on. So that was the big incentive, you know. You never wanted to be off the pitch, you know, because at the end of the day, that's how you learn, that's how you. And when you walked home on a night as I did with a ball up the road, I would like be disappointed if i if I hadn't done something that I would look back at the game and I would analyze it on the way up the road. Why didn't I pass there, or why didn't I dribble there when I passed to the wrong person who sometimes you pass and you know when you pass the ball it passed to the wrong person you know it, it, but you do it because it's the right thing to do, and that for me was something that I learned where you know like a certain person, so imagine I'm playing next to a, a person that technically isn't the best but I know he can strike a decent ball Mm -hmm. I would try and put the ball in the space for him so he doesn't have to change stride he doesn't have to think he doesn't have to do anything difficult and that is me all over in terms of always passing forward always thinking where does he want the ball where does the defender want the ball you know and and that type of thing you know I talk to our kids now about passing the ball past the defender so mentally once he turns around he's thinking wow that's 10-15 yards I'm not going to run that far And mentally, he turns off. And that, for me, is the big thing about when watching Barcelona, they very rarely pass to the man. They always pass to the space. And that, for me, is an incredible talent. And and to have that brain to know where people want the ball. Which takes them
0: not one step, but two steps ahead of too many (coughs) in our country. Because I still see professional footballers putting the ball either behind or in such a manner that the stride has to be checked.
1: No, no, absolutely.
0: And... If it's into the path, it's, it does something that damages the opponent. But you can say that now after a world-class career. When the hell did that begin to occur to you in your brain age? I don't know, 10, 12, 13, 14, 15. When the hell did that start to filter in? I would say, obviously I
1: couldn't tell you exactly when, but I would say as an 11-year-old, it was definitely in my brain, without a doubt. And that's whether it's nice what you keep saying, that, obviously I was a good player, but when I look at it, it's your brain that makes you a player. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a talent, no doubt about it. And everybody, you know, you look at, I keep referring to dogs. You can teach dogs how to do tricks. Mm-hmm. You know, you can teach people all day long to mm-hmm. pass a ball, dribble, whatever, but you can't teach them to have a brain. Mm-hmm. And that brain is special. You know, whether you're going to run fast, run slow, you know, you know you're about to be tackled, you stop, change direction, you know. That is something you like. I watch uh, snooker a bit. Ronnie O'Sull- O'Sullivan in particular, I imagine. And basically, he's three shots ahead. I'm three passes ahead in my brain. I don't always get the ball, but I'm thinking if that ball's going to come to me in the next second, three seconds, whatever, it's going there. And that, for me, makes the players a stand I'm up. I'm so
0: glad you raised that, because I know there are players that can do that, but to be able to talk about it is, is difficult. We, we had a challenge. We, we sat down with Chrissy Wardle a couple of months ago. We, we knew we were going to enjoy it. Yeah. So we talked about, was it fair on tape to ask him to explain his art? Because a lot of people who are not just good, but phenomenally good can do it. It's natural. And they can't talk about it. They can't break it down. They don't know what they do. And it's, they might be the best in the world, but they can't break it. And I'm willing to bet, now this is me estimating, but I, I'm willing to bet that Messi will be like that. He won't be able to break it down and say in the future, this is what you do, because it just flows from where's Whereas analytically probably will and Chris could Chris taught us about the one on one where you show one way or how close you've got to be and he broke it down like it was the Open University it was phenomenal to listen to but I was reading Dennis Bergkamp talking about exactly what you said there that he could see not one two three passes in advance and made a comparison with a quarterback in American football where you're being rushed it's crazy you're going to be hurt but you've got to put the ball about 50 yards between two sets of hands and find your guy And your guy isn't there yet and he's going to get there for another three seconds. And that's what I see when I see passing like you're talking about. Yeah, it,
1: it, it sounds really big, what I'm going to say, but when I first came to Newcastle, second time around, when Kevin Keegan was yep. actually the manager, I played with him, obviously, first time. When I came second time, John Bellisford tells this story about how, when I first came, Kevin said, he will make a difference to you, to every player. He'll make a difference to you. So when I first came back, and to be fair, Probably wasn't great, but I was doing what I did all my life. So John Beresford's a left-back, 10 yards in front of him, there's loads of space, there's no pressure. I would pass the ball in front of him. That ball, probably for the first six weeks, would go into touch. Basically, he was like saying, well, he's not as good as I thought he was going to (laughs) be. But then he realised, and he tells the story a lot, where basically that's where I should be. Mm -hmm. And then he started to realise, well, he ain't going to pass the ball to me, he's going to pass it to where I should be. And so that's what I always did. I always passed it where the man should be. And there would be times when it would go out. You know, I ended up at Hartlepool, basically, without being big-headed. I looked an average player because I was on a different wavelength. And that sounds really big-headed, but that's the way I thought. You know? But I still did the same thing that I would do for Alan Shearer or Les Ferdinand, Andy yeah. Cole, Guy Limica. I knew where they wanted the ball. And I was almost trying to play the game for them. As in, that's where he should be. They couldn't grasp it and
0: obviously made me look average and I don't mean that in a cruel way because it wasn't there will be I'll tell you two things now I'm really pleased I, I've not an up-down relationship with Kevin but as a Scot I didn't really like what he was doing to me as, <laughs> as I was growing up he was writing and shoot every week yeah, and he, absolutely. Was, he wasn't slow about taking the mickey out of us <laughs> particularly after a 5-0 or a whatever it might be so it took me a little while to learn to like Kevin and then meeting him with one or two exchanges of maybe people with heated points of view. But then two or three times I met him and he was so interesting, so likeable, so charming, so enthusiastic about football. Absolutely. That won me over. But what you've said there is what a good bit of vision. You proved him right when he said to them he's going to improve, not the team, you individually. What a good bit of vision from Kevin that is. Now, now
1: I have to say it was funny because when I first came back, he said to me, I want you to do what I did for you 10 years ago. <laughs> so in 83, yeah. he, he was obviously at Newcastle, yeah. I signed, and I was a young kid. And basically he was the leader. In a nice way. He wasn't nasty, aggressive, but he led the team. Mm -hmm. You know, him and Terry McDermott in particular. So, anyway, when I came back in '93, I was 35, and he said, uh, You know, you need to tell the chairman if he asks you, you're only 31. And it was like really not a con, but obviously he had to convince him that he wanted me, exactly.
0: Well, he's, he's yeah. put in the corner and convince yeah. isn't yeah. it? And, and it was quite funny nice. because,
1: <laughs> obviously, when I played, the chairman used to come in the dressing room after the game and he said to me, you're not bad for well, 30. <laughs> right. but, anyway, but it was just, like, really weird. But what I was going to say was we, we actually... So, in the first six weeks that I was at Newcastle, Kevin used to criticise me, but not in a nasty way, mm-hmm. but he was saying, come on, Pedro, stop playing one-touch and, like, whatever, 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 whatever it was, like, but not in a nasty way. Uh-huh. And... It was like, that's what you want me to do. But then, six weeks later, he called me into his office and he said, do you know what I'm doing, Pedro, when I actually say to you, don't do this, don't do that. When i half-time, you're always the first one I pick on. He said, well, I'm doing that because you're the best player. Mm-hmm. And if I do that to you, I can mm-hmm. do it to anybody. Yeah. I said, well, it would have been nice if you told me six weeks ago. Because <laughs> like, honestly, I thought, am I really doing that bad? And he said, you've been doing terrific. He said, but I start with you. Yeah and then whoever I talked to Uttino Asperger, David Genola I can talk to anybody yeah. and I can say anything to anybody not in a nasty way but no. he said you're the main man and it happened to me when I played he said I would be told off certain people you can't do this but then they would they automatically go straight onto somebody else and say basically he's not doing it you have to do it he was incredible he, I have to say he was he treated me like a king and what he used to say to me was just go and drop hand grenades you go anywhere you want on that field But when you go there, so if you go in the left-back position as in defending, Mm -hmm. get on the ball, you have to make a pass that's going to open up the game for us. That type of thing. Or if you go in the right-back position or whatever, you have to have an effect in the game. I don't want you just going there, wasting your time. And he was just incredible. He just allowed me to do whatever. And, And it's nice what people say, but when you look at it, we just had an unbelievable team that just played unbelievable football. For our... Level, and I don't mean that in a cheeky way, when you look at an Arsenal, a Man United, a Man City, you know, Chelsea, there's an expectation. There wasn't in Newcastle. So what we did was just provide them with something unbelievable that they hadn't seen before. And that's why we were called the Entertainers. And it's quite interesting. It's the 20th anniversary this year. And uh, it'll be nice because we're going to get back together and have a, a big dinner together. So.
0: But I mean, before we jump into the Entertainers, and, and we mustn't bypass another King... Um, not King Kevin, but King Kenny. But did you grow up watching a guy who I had as a hero, Jinky Smith? Did yeah, Jinky? He appeared? was my favourite. Ah, I like 100%, that. One hundred percent. The nutmegs. At Portodry, when, wow. when I, at Aberdeen, my dad took me aged five or six to watch the reserves, yeah. and Jinky um, was a big player, but he was coming back from injury.
1: We had a big corner. Wars End Boys Club. Oh, sorry, Four Wars End Boys Club at the Gosford Park Hotel in Newcastle, October, November. And we have one every year and it was the 50th anniversary and uh, Steve Bruce was the guest speaker and was brilliant. Because of obviously being a manager for so long he yeah. hadn't been to many of the dinners and that was just look at the draw. Yep. But he was there and he was speaking. But Jinky Jimmy was there with the, the, the first cup team. So Bob Monker and people like that. And he Winn signed, Davis. Yeah, Winn Davis and, and all them and, and he signed a shirt for me.
0: He was that much of a, yeah. of a hero for oh, you? Oh yeah,
1: he, he was absolutely my hero. I absolutely loved him. You know, we talking to you on, on the way in here about nutmegs and <laughs> he just did it because it was the best thing to do. He yeah. was never like, horrible about it. Or, Not like, humiliation. Make a fool. Yeah, exactly. It was for a reason. Yeah, absolutely. It was the best thing to do. And to be fair, I loved him. I loved Jinky Jimmy. He, he was my hero, 100%. He was my favourite Newcastle So fan. if
0: I remember right, he would have come just after the First Cup team. So the last major, major trophy Newcastle won, I guess, was yeah. 69. Absolutely. 69, yeah, yeah. The UEFA Cup, we would yeah, call yeah. it now, First Cup then. Yeah, yeah. He would have been about I was 8 if John, yeah, but yeah. depending on who's telling the story either 8 or 13 <laughs> yes, Kevin would have it <laughs> so you were, you were actually 8 8 when they won the first cup 8, absolutely. Or, no, I'd eight, never... eight or 5 yeah. been, yeah. Yeah. did you yeah. go eight. see the game or were no. you allowed to no. is that impossible I have to be
1: honest uh, Graham. I couldn't tell you the exact date but my first game to watch in Newcastle Stadium I would have been 12 or 13 I would say probably 72 or 73 maybe and Frank Clark scored his first goal for Newcastle. He'd been here forever.
0: Frank Clark, Nottingham Forest, Forest yeah. European Cup winner. Frank yeah, Clark, absolutely. Yeah,
1: they played Doncaster. They won six nil, and that was the first game I ever went to, and he scored a goal, and the crowd just went wild. <laughs> and I, I, at the time, I didn't understand why. Yeah, I was saying, well, it's just a goal because <laughs> at that stage it was probably four nil or something. The crowd just went absolutely nuts. But obviously, I didn't realise that he played like. Something like two hundred and fifty games, hadn't scored a goal, probably hadn't had a shot, and it was just amazing. So that was my first game, and if you you remember the the Newcastle Nottingham Forest cup tie that was uh, abandoned because of crowd trouble, wasn't what you would call bad crowd trouble, but obviously it got abandoned. Yeah. But the the thing that was funny about that game was that basically I was queuing for a ticket overnight with my brother, so we watched match of the day, and then went to queue. And you mean overnight, so, don't you? Oh yeah, one hundred percent, sleeping bags and everything. Yeah, absolutely. So. Watched match of the day, got a bus into town from where I am now, and uh, we went, queued, and honestly, you only allowed one ticket each then. Yeah. So we got a ticket each, and he actually sold my ticket to his best mate. <laughs> and to be fair, not nice at the time. It is funny now. It is totally funny now. This
0: is naming and shaming in, in action.
1: But yeah. it worked out well, because I would have been in yeah. that trouble. Yeah. And obviously, it's amazing how things happen for a reason, because at the time I was gutted. Wanted to go to the cup game And, and obviously As I say it Got abandoned Was banging in the middle Of the trouble Because it was all standing then Yeah, It wasn't like I would have had a seat Where there wouldn't have been Any trouble I was, yeah. actually would have been bang yeah. in the middle of it So in that sense It was a Age
0: 12, 13 Yeah It was yeah. a
1: blessing in disguise Because yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I would have been 13 Then 1974 And then to go on And get to the final And sadly obviously I couldn't go to the final But probably And that was the Liverpool too. final Yeah The Keegan final The Keegan, was Keegan the, final yeah, So talking
0: about things Happening for a reason yeah,
1: yeah. Absolutely
0: I remember him, I was... You know, we're not that different in age, and I remember there was a programme called VIP then, hosted by Valerie Singleton. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the interview was Kevin Keegan. And and Kevin hadn't been that long at Liverpool, I no, think, no. from, from no, no. Scunthorpe, was No, it, absolutely, maybe? yeah, Scunthorpe, yeah, 71, Signed by Yeah, yeah. And then... It, it felt to me at the time that it wasn't as much of a game as it should have been because Newcastle were actually closer to Liverpool than they proved. Yes. And if I remember correctly, one or two, I don't know if it was, was Michael McDonald, I think maybe somebody in the Newcastle side it sounded, sounded off a little bit in the press and said, oh, we're going to... And Liverpool went right where... 100%. Was it Superman?
1: Was it Super it was definitely Superman. 100%. <laughs> he was... We were going to win. He talked it up, you know, and obviously newspapers were big news then. You know, oh, yeah. So, he, oh, yeah, 100%. And they and pinned as a, it on the dressing fan, room and everything. Would,
0: would you reading that? Would you gone? He's right. He's right. Yeah, well, or, or would you gone? And...
1: No, no. Well, as a fan, I was thinking, I hope he's right. <laughs> but like, I was thinking maybe a bit, a bit optimistic, a bit too much. But yeah, it almost it, being thirteen, it almost passed me by that whether it was right or wrong. Yeah, yeah. But when I learned, yeah. obviously, going into being a professional footballer. You learn that you don't rail the opposition or wind totally them up or whatever, kind of, yeah, exactly. Totally them. And to be fair, we were embarrassing. You know, it, when it, I look back and hindsight. It didn't it, come off, know, did it? It was a 3 0 going on 7 8. You know, 3 0, as daft as it sounds, almost looked all right in the end.
0: Even at my age, I could see that there was an edge and an aggression and a confidence and a determination about the that that Newcastle didn't. There was some in this Newcastle side who were kind of looking around going, oh, yeah, oh, look, look, yeah oh. It was almost like, embarrassing. Let's do them, let's do yeah, them, yeah. let's do them, let's no, do them. No,
1: it, it almost was. And, and obviously they didn't want it to be like that, but it no. ended up being embarrassing. Yeah.
0: So I, I want to skip a little bit because there's a, I'm not going to say it out loud, but we've titled this section WTF because in retrospect, how the hell did so few people have faith in you? Because you're spotted at Wall's End by Newcastle. And then it doesn't happen, and then you know you're back and forward from that absolute hundred percent natural place for a northeast boy to end up, Vancouver.
1: It, uh, <laughs> what the hell no, was going it, on? It was incredible. It uh, basically, obviously, I was playing for Carlisle. Bob yeah. Moncur was the manager, promoted
0: me very quickly. Pop Robson, yeah, who presumably played in that first fair cup winning you, team absolutely. and was your dressing room no, companion. That must in, have felt.
1: In, to be fair, Pop was the best volley of a ball I ever saw. Yeah. Both feet, yeah. you know, and you can, you can see pictures all over, you know, in the ball and the technique and everything, and he did a lot for me, I have to say. But he came as a player coach yeah. as I was leaving, really, and he was the first person I went to for advice. Really? Because I had the chance to go to Vancouver, and how it came about, basically, Johnny Giles had seen me play against Mansfield in an FA Cup tie, and Johnny Giles was the manager of Vancouver. I he saw didn't me play know in the FA that. Club, yeah, but he was looking at the Mansfield player their left winger and uh, he was looking at him and he wasn't great on the day uh-huh. without being horrible and I apparently was he said to his staff we'll have him but then what he did was four weeks later five weeks later we were playing Brentford Chopper Harris was playing for Brentford and it was down at Brentford but I still uh, see the scars yeah Vancouver Whitecaps were playing the Bishop Abbey training the Bishop Abbey oh, yeah, for their yeah, pre-season yeah, yeah, yeah so he came to watch me again and I, I was lucky enough, scored a goal and uh, apparently played quite well. And that's how it came about. And uh, basically, he came to try and buy me. The fee was $250,000 uh, to Carlisle, which was a lot of money in then. Yeah. Days. So 1981. But I'd never flown before. No. Genuinely never flown. Yeah. Sandra and I, my wife now, it's 35 years in a couple of months that we we'll would have been Congratulations. together. Basically, what happened was we weren't going to get married for like 15 months. Yeah. But the chance to go to Vancouver, the deal was that once Carlisle was safe from relegation, Uh I could go to Vancouver. What happened was that that took about six weeks and Sandra's mum organised the wedding within four weeks. We got married four days before we went. Gosh. And it was incredible. So the night before I got married, we played Burnley in a league game at Turf Moor. My best man scored a hat-trick, Gordon Stanley Forth. So we went back and, as you know, stag dudes in them days were the night before the wedding. Yes. So we went back, we went to... uh, the Twisted Wheelers, it was called in them days, had a few beers. Not me, i never had a drink, never had a drink in my life. So went in there and then after that went, obviously did the wedding. And then on the Saturday we lost at home to Swindon, but we were safe after that game. So on the Sunday we flew down to London and then on the Monday we flew out to Vancouver.
0: And neither of us had ever flown before and it was incredible. It, it, was it a, must have seemed like a frontiersman. It, it must. I mean... What did you know about Canada? What did you know about Vancouver? Nothing. Presumably, number one, John Giles, given the name yeah, he had, was a massive attraction. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Peter Lorimer was a player coach. Well, so. listen, if anybody who's listening is too young to know, John had been the linchpin leader with Billy Bremner, without a doubt. great lead side. he played at Manchester United as yeah, well. absolutely. No, Wonderful, no. clever, tough footballer. Technically brilliant. Laura, uh, one of Scotland's greatest. Absolutely. Certainly brilliant at shooting. I don't know, what would you, would you call him? A, not a winger inside forward. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah
1: no, he, was, he, he probably started off as a right winger. Yeah. But then, as you say, as later he has called it, we haven't moved in, moved in a bit yet. Yeah, and almost came like, a, when you were talking earlier, about a quarterback. Mm. He almost could ping a ball anywhere yeah. and put it on a six-pin. So he became a, a sort of a whole midfielder that could hit a ball 60, 70 yards, you know. So, yeah, and there were great people to be around. Roger Kenyon, who obviously, yeah, yeah. you know, we had some unbelievable players. Dave Thomas, the wing of the QPR, QPR, Everton. Ray Hankin, because. Alan Taylor, who scored two for West Ham Ray in Hankin, the cup was final. He Leeds, like, yeah, Leeds? Yeah, yeah Leeds, yeah. Burnley. And uh, Alan Taylor, who scored two against Fulham in the cup final. For West Ham. West Ham? Yeah, yeah, good. yeah,
0: he was there. Kind of all-star team was Absolutely. this. Absolutely,
1: Willie Johnson. But... Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, Willie Johnson. The cleanest superstar. player I ever... Not. <laughs> to be fair. He, uh, he used to come to the with Rangers. Somebody was asking me today when we were playing games about... We've got a podcast out this day with David Proven. And I was showing... Them, I was giving him clues. And Willie Johnson was one of the guesses. And Willie could really, really, really play. In fact, Newcastle put Willie Johnson and Rangers out of the Fairs Cup in the semi-final. Ah, uh-huh, right. Willie played well, in that aware, game. Right? Yeah, before the just dozy, 2 leg Fairs yeah, Cup yeah. thing. And Wally, Wally was a fantastic player, but boy, his game wasn't complete unless he left his studs on one of oh, our no, no, backs. To be fair, we, we
1: played in San Jose, I remember it, and he went to take a corner, and in them days in San Jose, the, the stadiums were really tight, and somebody leant over and offered him a beer, he had a drink of it, <laughs> genuinely, 100%, and then crossed the ball and we scored. <laughs> we scored from the corner, it was like, wow, has that just happened? It was you, like you incredible.
0: See, if Scotland ever became a republic that's the kind of person we'd elect as as leader he'd be president just for that incident but the
1: amazing thing was Graham the the reason I ended up going to Manchester United was we played San Jose in San Jose and George Best was playing for San Jose I scored a hat-trick it was American Independence Day (laughs) it's July the 4th and I scored a hat-trick and he actually said to me after the game George Best what part of Canada are you from son? and I honestly thought (laughs) Uh, wow (laughs) you you this? I said I'm from Newcastle Newcastle in England? I said, yeah. He went, you're kidding me. He said, I'm going to ring Man United. That's, That's what he actually said to me. He did. He rang Man United. How did you feel went,
0: in that moment? I mean, he must have been walking I wasn't sure. Air.
1: I wasn't sure. As he just said that, like, to be nice, he reiterated three or four times, I'm going to ring Man United. I'm really going to ring Man United. He now, was
0: incredible. He would have been at that That stage. was 81. So that was 4th of July, 81. Had Sexton gone? Was it was
1: Ron Atkinson. Atkinson had already taken over. It was Ron over. Atkinson, yeah. And, and to be fair to Ron, he was, he was all right. And it came about because of that. And then he'd rang him. And then what happened was Man United came over for pre-season. And ah. they played on our AstroTurf. OK. And I scored a goal after 13 seconds. And Man United kicked off. The ball went back to Gordon McQueen. I put him under pressure. He fell over on the AstroTurf. And I scored after 13 seconds. <laughs> scored a game later in the
0: game. We won 3-1. Wait, wait, wait a and then I In ended the future, up I, I kind of have the aspiration of inviting... Gordon, to one of these interviews. Yeah, yeah. Gordon, I'd like to make clear that neither of us are mocking the fact that you fell no, over no, in the absolutely. No, no, And to be fair I'm to him... I'm only kidding.
1: Well, obviously, when I went back there, he was there. Yeah. Big go-go, and he, he was brilliant. And he said, it was because of me that you're here, by the fact that I fell over.
0: On which subject? Here's your first quiz. Name the 11th player. The 10 are Bailey, Duxbury, Alberston, Wilkins, Moran... McQueen, Robson, Grimes, Stapleton, Moses, and I'm guessing me, Peter Beardsley.
1: Yeah, me one appearance against Bournemouth, I guess.
0: Now, one of our guests very successfully on the big interview has been Harry Redknapp. Tell us how Harry Redknapp ruined your Manchester United Absolutely, career. Absolutely,
1: one hundred percent. It was incredible. You and I are now like. If you look at that picture behind you, we can see the six-yard line of a box. We can and basically this ball is coming across the six-yard box and I'm about to tap it in on my debut for Man United. Thinking, this is in the Milk Cup? In the Milk Cup, Against yeah. Bournemouth? Against Bournemouth, yeah. And I'm thinking, here we go, happy days. Nigel Spackman was playing for Bournemouth as well, I think. Who, uh, obviously, David Webb? Yeah, David Webb. And the ball comes across the box and I'm thinking, happy days. I thought, I've never, ever been in the six-yard box in my life and I'm thinking, wow, here we go. Old Trafford, what dreams are made of. And as you rightly said, Harry Redknapp ruined my big day by scoring on goal. <laughs> and honestly, never played another game. <laughs> I never what played another game, honestly. Harry, honestly, it was incredible. Never played another game, but we won one nil, and we were poor, to be fair. Substituted and, uh, by? Yeah,
0: I would imagine Norman Whiteside was it. Would you mean I would imagine? This yeah. is our first meeting and our first right. chat, but I think you people well, in have told me you have a sharp, sharp football brain. Yeah, yeah. Norman in, Whiteside. In those days, there was
1: only one soup. And obviously, I took his place because he was a superstar then. Uh-huh. You know, sadly, he got a bad injury, but yep. he, was a, he was an absolute superstar. Fantastic to be fair. Football. And, and to be fair to Man United, and I have to say, it genuinely, Grim, they made the right decision at that time because I was in the reserves with Mark Hughes. You know, so they had Mark Hughes there, they had Scott McGarvey there, so they had other players. So I wasn't annoyed, I wasn't.
0: Different skills?
1: Yeah, but to be fair to Mark Hughes, when you look at what he went on to do for Man United, you know, you, you can understand the 250,000 I talked about going to Carlisle to Vancouver Manchester United paid the same yeah. to Vancouver but the deal was if I went back then Manchester United got the 250,000 back and what happened was Vancouver Whitecaps made 18,000 pound interest on that 250,000 so that was all they got really 18,000 pound but I mean Vancouver in a nice way were quite pleased because they were happy for me to be going back and I had two more great years
0: there and then I end up obviously going to Newcastle, but... Uh, Va- Vancouver yeah. was a... If you take the football aside, Vancouver was a pleasure, because I've, I've never been, but I'm told it's an exceptional oh, place to amazing.
1: live. Amazing. Amazing city. Yeah, honestly, like, you will obviously know a lot of expats, if you like, and, and honestly, the, the amount of, sort of, Empire Stadium, where I first started, we ended up in BC Place, but when I first started Empire Place, it almost seemed as though it was... And I mean this, it sounds bad talking to you, but... Full of Scottish, mm-hmm. the amount of Scottish people and the amount of people that were like sounds really big. What I'm going to tell you, I've, I've been voted in the last year the greatest ever player, and I've got to go for a go I'd be over there one.
0: protesting if they hadn't
1: yeah. voted. Yeah. The uh, they've ever only player. been going for years but I was gobsmacked <laughs> when I got told last summer. No. I was actually now genuinely it makes like, sense now. But when you look, Peter yeah. O'Malley, and obviously. People like that,
0: there's been some... Superstars. If you take away the, the fact that it was Newcastle came calling to, to finally get you going again, did we come close to losing Peter Beardsley in the football scene in this country? Was there a life for the two of you that you sat and thought before Newcastle came in, this could do us?
1: Yeah, I, I have to be honest, once the, the Manchester United thing, I wouldn't say it went wrong, but it didn't happen. Didn't happen? Yeah, I would have said, yeah, quite happy, because I love Vancouver. Mm-hmm. The two of us were very young. I was 20 when I went over there. But loved every minute of it, honestly. And easier for me than probably for Sandra in the sense that I was away. We used to go yeah. for 10 days at a time, play three games, so go Tampa, Dallas, New York. So it was great for me. You know, I ended up being a driver. We didn't have a bus, we had four station wagons. So you'd have a skip each. So I was in charge yeah. of a skip, yeah. but I also got access to the car. So I would be sightseeing where we literally, Graham, got together on an away trip for training only. So you ate yourself. So you got a per diem, you got money oh, yeah. to basically feed yourself. So we never had a, a meal together. The only meal we ever had together was pre-match. So you would train whatever time you of day. You kind of all on the...
0: arrived as you could, by yeah, your yeah. Own timing, yeah, yeah. each your vehicle. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, when, when we left to go to
1: the stadium, so we'd have a pre-match, On a, say we were in Dallas, have a pre-match, I would have four people that I would drive in my car. So I always had the same five. But for the other 10 days, the car was pretty much me on.
0: But you could be driving a thousand miles, presumably, oh, yeah. easy. Yeah, yeah. You see, Sunday league footballers all over the world, they listen to us now, will be thinking, that's what we do, and we're waiting for a car that doesn't arrive and you're out in the pitch and you're like, where are these guys? Yeah, yeah. And I watched a documentary on Salford City. With Gary yeah, yeah, and it was and yeah, it was their, good. Their striker got lost. Yeah, yeah absolutely. No, no. Nobody ever Not got no. lost or turned did up late. The or...
1: funniest, one of the funniest things I ever did, really harsh at the time, when we played at home, we used to go to the hotel for a pre-match meal. Mm. So we go to the hotel. And, but when we used to leave the hotel, it was almost like a race to the stadium. A, a race like, literally I a, a challenge race, yeah. yeah 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 so we most of us had Vancouver Whitecaps cars so we had the badge on the car and, and one of the funniest things I ever did was uh, Telly Yorif you know we uh, basically I was at the travel lights with him but as you'll know in America they go red to green yeah. they don't go red amber green they go red to green so I'm sitting obviously next to him and he's obviously looking at me and we're looking at each other but the light's on red and I pretend I'm going to go <laughs> and he just <laughs> reacts to me and he goes and he crashes, <laughs> so he turns up at the stadium late. It's funny now, when I got to the stadium, you I'm know, thinking, "Wow, it's not funny." We've talked point.
0: already about the existence of a greater being, right? Him and me were talking today about watching you play football. You did in a car what you did to defenders yeah. all your career, it was- and I was telling him about the famous story about Dixie Dean when he was playing yeah, yeah. for Everton. Yeah. And I think it was maybe, I don't know. Bill Foulkes or yeah, yeah. George Lawrence, or yeah, yeah, it was one of the top players, yeah, yeah. And Dixie had the evil eye on him, and they were, the mythical story is that they were walking on either side of the street, and Dixie nodded at whoever the keeper, and the keeper died full length. <laughs> and you've you've dummyed yeah. somebody with, a, with a, you've me Terry with a car. Yeah, uh, I mean, something magical oozes out of your pores. Well, you can't dummy somebody. <laughs> it was just
1: well, I Vancouver did and, and I just
0: drove off when the changed. I just
1: drove off, and I thought. <laughs> Maybe should have waited. There. Yeah, I maybe should have waited. Because obviously he would have been, without being cruel, 10 years older than me. And I just thought, maybe I should have waited. But I didn't. And obviously he turned up late. That is absolute
0: and utter genius, I but have to know, say.
1: I look at it now and that really funny. But at the time I'm thinking, wow, have I gone a bit too far there?
0: Thank goodness we didn't lose you to that life. And I imagine that, wow, well, you've already mentioned a number of picture book moments. You scored brilliant goals on the 4th of July. And George Best said... I'm to ring Man United about you or not. But if you're coming home, Newcastle have seen sense, and having said no the first time and let you go, you, not only do you come back, but you come back in, in an environment that we're not really used to right now. I've obviously seen it three times in my lifetime, yeah. but the two are on the up. Everything's going. Keegan's there. Chrissy Wardle's coming through. You come back. It was incredible, Graham, because obviously I get the phone
1: call of Arthur Cox, mm-hmm. Easily now, mm-hmm. you could listen to anybody's talk around the world. So if somebody said, Arthur Cox is going to ring you now, you could listen to his voice somewhere. But I didn't have a clue. I really didn't know it was Arthur mm-hmm. Cox. He said it was him. <laughs> and I honestly, after the Terrior thing, I'm thinking, wow, somebody's winding me up here. <laughs> Genuinely. There wasn't like a tapping up situation where somebody rings you and says, Arthur Cox is going to ring you. Would you go to Newcastle? There was none of that. Seriously, it's I got on a phone call out of the book. And uh, he said, there's Arthur Cox here. And I'm thinking, he's weighing him he? And So anyway, eventually I realised it's him. And he said, uh, I want you to come and play for Newcastle. And at the time, genuinely, I was on £400 a week in Vancouver, which, a lot of money in mm. terms of 1981. Yeah. You know, and happy with that. That's, like, that's not bad. Yeah, absolutely. Accommodation was paid for, you know, everything... It was brilliant because my wife and family, and obviously her family, my family, we were allowed to bring two of them out every year to stay with us and go back, and like they would get four flights paid for basically. So everything was perfect. Honestly, you couldn't. So office turned to me, and you know, and he said, "I know what you're getting. I know you're getting four hundred pounds a week." He said, "Well, look after you." I was so naive. I didn't say like, "What am I going to get? What's yeah. the deal?" Yeah. Yeah. I said, "Yeah," and he, he said, "Kevin Keegan, you know, play alongside Kevin Keegan, you know." That's got to be perfect for you and all that. So anyway, I then get into London, Sandra and I, and we get the shuttle up to Newcastle, obviously the the British Airways shuttle, and unbeknown to me, Kevin Keegan's on the plane. Genuinely, on my kid's life, he's on the plane, and I ain't got a clue. So anyway, and then halfway through the journey, only an hour of their flight, Kevin Keegan comes to see Sandra and I, and he said, uh, you're the one that Arthur's been causing me nightmares about. Thinking, <laughs> wow, that's not a good start. But what he said was... He's been ringing me through the night telling me it's going to happen and I'm going to bring this superstar and he's going to be your partner and we're going to get promotion and he said, like, I hope you're good. And he said, but we'll find out tomorrow because that was going to be my first day training. So I'm thinking, wow. No pressure. Oh, yeah, I'm thinking, wow, this can't be right. Because he wouldn't have had a clue who I was. Somebody obviously on the flight, and I mean this in a nice way, must have told him who I was. I don't know how. I don't know because how that came about. Again,
0: for, there's no internet, is what we're saying. No, no, absolutely.
1: So, in other words, yeah, this yeah. thing about Arthur's yeah, yeah. voice, absolutely. whether it was Terry Pelly yeah, or yeah. Frank or, yeah, yeah. or Kevin knowing who
0: I was. Yeah. things were different.
1: Absolutely. And Kevin wouldn't have even known what I looked like.
0: Yeah. Like Arthur
1: said, I'm going to bring Peter Beersley back. And he actually publicly admitted, as a Newcastle player, he didn't have a clue who I was. And, and that's fine. I got no problem with that. But anyway, he said he's been giving me nightmares. He's been ringing me all sorts of time because obviously there's a time difference when he's speaking to me. He's then ringing Kevin like two, three in the morning because he's excited it's going to happen. So anyway, come back, go to meet Arthur Cox at St. James's. Joe Harvey was still there, uh, still around. And Jackie Milburn. Jackie Milburn was working for the News of the World. And so obviously I'm going to do a little press conference, nothing on the scale of what they do now. But Had you met Jackie before? No, never met him. So Big stuff. Absolutely. So walking up the steps at St. James's, And Jackie Milburn said to me, the only thing they ever ask, son, is you give your maximum and you run around. I said, well, I'll definitely do that. I said, I've got no problem. If that's all they want, I'll be all right. And he said, no, no, I've heard good
0: things. He said, you'll be better than all right. And he was really, really positive. In truth, your skill aside, he was telling you something you knew. Yeah. You were were a proper Newcastle fan growing up, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Not just a football fan. No, no, absolutely. I couldn't afford to go and watch them. No, but... But it
1: was in my blood, yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt, Jinky Jimmy, Tony Green... You know, only played 33 games for us, probably the best player we ever had, you know. So, yes, yeah, so. it was my team, absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. But then I go to see Arthur Cox to sign mm-hmm. on the dotted line, you know. Vancouver agreed to let me go, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the fee was 125,000 pounds. So, I've gone over there for 250, and they're selling me for half price, basically. So, I go back and I see Arthur, and he said, You uh, know what, you got in Vancouver? We'll give you 300 pounds a week. So, now I'm getting 400 pounds a week. I think, What? I <laughs> can't be right. Because <laughs> tell me a player that's moved in recent times, where he's got less than what he had before. so Javier said, Mascherano.
0: Yeah, well... But yeah. in general, yeah, him and very him very alone. unusual,
1: absolutely. So anyway, he said, uh, we'll give you three pounds a week. I said, well, Arthur, you know I'm getting £400 pound a week, but the chance to play alongside Kevin Keegan, that's got to be worth £100, he said. And to be fair, that was in a nutshell. But what he did say was, if we get promotion, we will give you a new contract and obviously then we'll give you what you deserve or whatever, depending on what you do. And luckily that season scored 20 goals in 34 games from coming back in October and so it was brilliant we got promotion everything was perfect but then Arthur leaves he leaves to go somewhere else and, and Jack Charlton comes in mm. and Jack Chawton doesn't know the agreement the agreement is word of mouth it's not like written down you'll get it but Russell Cushion who was the secretary at the time obviously he knew the deal and basically Jack Chawton calls me in he knows the deal now because of Russell Cushion And he, unbeknown to me, Graham, baffled me with science, this, that and the other, unbeknown to me genuinely, offers me less than what I was on. But structured in a different way, he just baffled me. So wasn't interested in money really, but I'm now driving home, agreed to a deal, and Russell Cushion phones me up and said, whoa, 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 you need to get back in here very quickly. Didn't tell me why, and then when I got back in, obviously they made a mistake, I could have walked free because it offered me less than what I was actually on. Well,
0: those were and, the rules. Yeah, and they
1: were the rules at that time, but I oh. didn't know that. I was unaware of that. I, would, I wouldn't have done it, but he said, we've made a mistake. Oh. And so I ended up going on £1,200 a week.
0: Ah. Russell, well done. Uh, but I don't want to be cheeky because I've never met Sandra before, but in my experience, if you bring a pay packet home that's less than the one you've been earning, the first person that's going to notice it is, is your partner.
1: I think, to be fair, I have to be honest with I'm not in a selfish way, but she was delighted to be coming home. In the sense that, I mentioned about me going away for 10 days at a time, she was living on her own, basically. You know, through no fault of hers, through no fault of ours. You know, as I said to you, we'd never flown before, either of us. So it was another world. And when you're, without being big-headed, the centre of attention all the time,
0: and and she obviously never... And you don't really have the same kind of community around. You're certainly not family around To be fair, Dave
1: Thomas, as in, obviously, Brenda, his wife, Jeanette Taylor, uh, Alan's wife... They really took her under a wing Good. and really looked after her. So fair play to them. But easy for me always being away as the centre of attention playing football, for her being stuck in Vancouver, sometimes on her own. And obviously phone access now compared to then is totally different. There was yeah. no mobiles. Yeah. So it was really hard for her. But she never, ever said, we have to go home. But I think it worked out well that obviously our family are from Carlisle and it just worked out perfectly. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.
0: Planning for your next trip?